This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by Emerging Markets Editor Ed Reed and Digital Journalist Hamish Penman. Hello both. Um, Ed, we've got the Trades Fortnight up here in Scotland. Is that a thing where you are? Basically everyone going off on holiday? or I've, no, I've never heard of it. Do you, you just all knock off for a couple of weeks. I think that's great. It's well, it certainly sounds great for the people that benefit from it. <laughs> Is that, from, from the way you say that, Alistair, it sounds like you're not one of those people. Journalists don't necessarily qualify for the trades, but you'll find. I mean, I don't. Well, I don't know. I, I ask because I'm getting. It's one of these periods where you get everybody with the out of office on, um, but but not us. So this is my my chance to vent. Um, but yeah, it's basically when all of the. I think I think traditionally the tradesmen would have taken their holidays. I don't know. I don't know how it how it kind of originated, but I, I promise you it is a thing. Yeah, I don't know. But there we are. So we'd have thought we'd have thought it would be a slow news week as as a result of that, but um, it, it has proven otherwise. Uh, and we'll start today with our story that the U.S. oil firm Apache is planning to bring forward by eleven years the shutdown of the forties oil field in the North Sea. Everyone in the U.K. will know the forties. Field generally credited as being the playmaker which opened up the North Sea, the one that really got it going and is one of the major sites which launched the Aberdeen oil and gas industry. It is tough to overstate its importance in that regard, but now it is at a very late life stage, nearly 50 years of production. So naturally, thoughts of decommissioning are now coming into play, and that's been on the mind of the operator Apache and the current and former field partners. So, a commercial high court case over this issue has been launched, and that's revealed a number of items, including what we've decided to focus on, and that's Apache's timelines and projections for 40s. So, as recently as just last year, Apache had planned to keep 40s going all the way through to 2037, spending in the order of £230 million across that field through to 2030. However, an updated plan drafted this year has brought that all the way forward to 2026. So that's cutting its life by 11 years. They've also cut their CapEx projections to 2030 down to just 9 million pounds. So that's a cut of more than 220 million. So a substantial drop, I think it's fair to say. All of this in the background to a legal case, as I say, between Apache and several other big players. That's Neo Energy, Esso, which is a Shell ExxonMobil joint venture, We've got Shell itself and BP, the firm which sold 40s to Apache back in 2003. Without getting into the weeds too much, um, decommissioning clearly is hugely expensive. And this case is about how a contract designed to cover those costs is effectively constructed. And what we should say is the, the judge's ruling did not go Apache's way. He set out a number of items for them to consider, meaning that they may need to redraw these plans and potentially their timelines. For Apache's part, they've confirmed an appeals underway. So why has it been brought forward to 2026 versus 2037? Well, there's a number of factors to consider, including inflation, the windfall tax, and Apache's wider strategy. And we get into all of that in this piece. This is where we find out the boys haven't been listening. (laughs) (laughs) You sounded like you were leaving it open to you playing like a a recording of yourself breaking down the piece. It was like a nice little... I know, I could have just uh, could have pre-recorded. 
I had a, I had a question about the uh, the inflation, right? There, there there seemed to be like a like a, a really kind of a big question around some uh, inflation uh, assumptions. Um, I was wondering maybe if you could shed a bit of light on that, and and, and obviously maybe why the ruling didn't go uh, Apache's way. Sure. Uh, so we will get into the weeds with that one, I think. But let's. Uh, so it's a lot of info. Stay with me. Um, Apache included in its kind of latest estimates. This is the the latest plan that brought the plan right towards 2026. They included estimates of 780 million pounds linked to inflation, and they didn't include that cost in the earlier plan, right? So the partners and former owners, BP, Esso, Shell, they contested that. They say inflation shouldn't be included in the calculation. Why would the partners not want to include that? It seems pretty sensible, I'd say, to include inflation in these kinds of things. Well, uh, it's a legalistic point. Uh, just because inflation's gone up in recent months, the decommissioning security agreement, it only allows for a relatively low rate of inflation. So in effect, world inflation might have gone up, but tough, that's what the contract says, and you've got to stick to it. Why does it matter um, that these other companies, uh, why do they care, uh, you know, they don't own 40s anymore? Um, well, unsurprisingly, uh, none of the defendants gave us much of a statement. Um, I guess what I'd highlight is that although Apache is the owner-operator, we don't know how the split of decommissioning costs is being shared out, right? So when BP sold this back in 2003, they could, for example, have kept some decom liabilities. That's not clear at this stage, how that's been split. It's not been spelled out in the ruling, but it's something to consider. I think more, more importantly, what does this mean for the industry more widely? Um, we spoke to the petroleum economist Alec Kemp, uh, who interestingly pointed out that it's 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 not so much about the cessation of production being brought forward. It's more about what this tells us about these small investments, these small tiebacks and infill wells that could keep these kind of older hubs going. Clearly, Apache feels it's just not worth it to proceed with that based on their projections. And I guess what, what Professor Kemp was highlighting is that the ruling doesn't explicitly show the impact of the windfall tax here. Um, it's inflation that's incited, not the EPL. But he's done some modeling recently against this higher rate of tax. Um, and he basically said that based on their modeling, that these small investments can be hit quite, quite hard. So if you've got an older field out there and you're dealing with a 75% tax rate, it's a, it's a pretty tough one. So yeah, that's 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 the inflation question. I think it's a lot of info, <laughs> but uh, there's there's kind of that going on. There's also the the side of it about where does this kind of leave Apache? And um, well, we've had this question around their their future here. I think this cements to an extent their apparent plan to wrap up and get out of the North Sea. Um, but uh, you know, they have their other field barrel um, remaining and. You know, I mean, how does stopping drill, their plan to stop drilling in the North Sea fit with uh, their obligations around maximizing recovery from the North Sea? Uh, you know, we don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, yeah, for now, it's quite a it's quite a tough one. And uh, but certainly we're towards the end of life. But it's kind of a, a, an interesting juxtaposition, that 11 year timeline in terms of early cessation for a, for a really old field that might have had a bit more life to it. If Apache aren't fully in on 40s is there a chance that it could change hands i mean we've seen kind of seen so many assets go from majors to these these smaller players in lot in recent years or but i mean is is 40s too too big and and wizened a beast to to pass over to somebody else is that decommissioning liability too large that actually 
even kind of private equity that might be able to extract a bit of value just aren't going to be bothered with it. It's an interesting question. Uh, I clearly there is. I mean, given what's left of forties, you you have to you have to wonder. Um, and we don't, as I say, without knowing what the decommissioning liabilities and the stakes in terms of the liabilities that these other companies have, it's it's a tough question to answer. It's a very tough question to answer. Perhaps. I mean, certainly you're right. We have seen. Um, assets transferred to other companies in the past over questions around how a company handles decommissioning. I'm not sure necessarily that's what we have here. It's not been made clear, but I suppose what, what we what we should say is, uh, you know, Apache has 40s and it has barrel, right? Um, 40s, it seems one way or the other was going to be winding down. Barrel, uh, the info we've got is it's still got quite a bit of life left to it. And how does that line up with um, a company that said it's going to stop drilling altogether, infill drilling as well? Um, in the UK, um, you know, people, commentators have said this, that kind of goes against their obligations uh, to maximize recovery. And uh, we, we, we did ask the NSTA about that. And they say that they don't, they don't comment on a case by case basis. So um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. We'll, we'll have to kind of keep an eye on it and see, see what more info, info is gleaned. But uh, can I, can I just ask a quick question about, so 40s is, is, is part of the kind of the Brent price, right? Um, does that does that have an impact on price formation? Obviously, if forties is 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 going to be sort of shutting down earlier than uh, expected, is this kind of more pressure on on, on pricing formula? Uh, I I don't know, um, but I think given the relatively low production rates of it now, it means fifty years old. Um, I would imagine that it couldn't have a massive impact on. On things like that, but it's not something I've looked at or have any insight into. So <laughs> this is the kind of analysis that they come for in this podcast. Um, so yeah, I think we'll we'll leave forties there. Um, but you know, from from one end of a project's life to the start of another, uh, we'll be back with a big discovery after this. In a world where the scarcity of key resources is starting to be felt and the impact of climate change is all too apparent, sustainable growth is no longer a choice; it is a necessity. Sustainable Growth Voice is a new online publication championing individuals and organisations that are pushing sustainable growth forward, making a positive impact on the environment, society and the economy. From innovative technologies solving sustainability challenges to social enterprises promoting inclusive growth and transformative policy initiatives, SG Voice covers the fundamental drivers at the heart of the new sustainable economy. Join the conversation that the world needs now. Visit SG Voice for knowledge, inspiration and insight from across the sustainable growth landscape. Okay, Hamish, uh, some big news out of the Southern North Sea this week. Yes, um, as soon as people say Southern North Sea, I think this year everyone's mind goes straight to, to Pensacola, which was the big discovery there. And there was more Pensacola than you could shake a stick at on uh, Wednesday. So there are kind of two sides to this to this story. So first, Deltic, Deltic Energy, who are partnered uh, with Shell on the Pensacola license, announced a major upgrade to reserve estimates on Wednesday morning. So it was already the largest Southern North Sea find in a decade. It was going to open up other plays, be transformative, lots of lots of nice tidbits there for it. But Postwell Analysis has also um, now found that it holds almost double the volumes of gas that initially reported. So about 99 million BOE estimates placed it at. Um, material volumes of oil have also been encountered. Now, it was known that there was some oil in the field, but there was uncertainty over whether it would be commercial. And it seems um, it will be, although Delta it was clear that getting gas out still remains the, the main priority. Um, it's important to stress, I suppose, that these are 
or this is Deltic's analysis. Shell is carrying out its own work and it hasn't published such uh, lofty estimates just yet. That's not to say they won't, they might do, um, but they're being a bit more reserved at this stage. So this has all come from Deltic. Um, so work's now progressing to develop Pensacola, a appraisal development program for the fields, uh, targeted end of next year. Um, Deltic shares predictably went through the roof on Wednesday morning, about 30% in mid-morning trading. And the company says it's now kicked off a formal process to pursue the value crystallization options that exist for Pensacola. Nice little phrase there. So now, as I mentioned, there was such keen interest in Pensacola because many saw success there as the starting line almost on a new fairway in the region. You mentioned how our 40s was the, was the opener for the North Sea. Well, there was kind of hopes that this could be on a much much smaller scale, the opener for the Zechstein play. I think it is. No, I hope I pronounced that right in the Southern North Sea. Uh, and a number of companies with nearby licenses were saying that a find would de-risk their assets. So one of those was Riobold Resources, who are a relatively small um, but London-listed player. They've got some interest across the North Sea, a bit onshore. Um, many, they'll probably be best known to many for fighting off two shareholder rebellions in the last year, one in uh, November, another in January. So before the vote in November, um, which was on the board's future, uh, they presented two shareholders and in a bit to kind of win them over. And they really bigged up the potential of license P2332, which is located just next to Pensacola and is or was uh, operated by Shell. So Rehobold acquired it through their takeover of a company called Simwell. Uh, and they really honed in on Pensacola and said success there would be good news for this permit. It would de-risk it and it would massively increase the chances of some drilling, some and, and probably some production there as well. Now, whether this is just coincidence or bad luck or whatever you want to call it, uh, Riobold also issued an update to the London Stock Exchange on Wednesday morning, giving an update on their assets in both the um, Central North Sea and the Southern North Sea. It buried within that was the uh, news that Shell has actually handed back the permit P two three three two. It's not going to progress with it. Did a bit more digging on that, and it seems like there was a drill or drop um, clause for May this year. They've decided, um, based on the best advice, to drop rather than drill. So it, at this stage, the license will not progress. Now, for Shell, this is not a big problem. One, they've got Pensacola, and two, they've got lots of other stuff to be getting on with. But given that Rehobold did put a, well, quite a number of its eggs in this basket, is trying to quell shareholder unrest, it's a, a real problem for the company, I would suggest that this permit is not going to progress they said that it gave them a bit more um info on geology in the area and they do have an onshore license that's pretty close so that i think they've garnered some information from it there but it's it's not a not a great look um especially not given the timelines around this that eight months ago they were they were bigging it up yeah, I mean, I, I guess firstly on on Pensacola, uh, fantastic news uh, given, I guess, a collection of big finds in Norway this year. Um, I think most recently was it last week, Carmen potentially the largest in more than a decade, and then you've got amongst backdrop of a series of of disappointments in the UK, and 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 good to hear the uplift, and hopefully, as you say, Hamish, uh, building up in the Southern North Sea. But when you come to the Southern North Sea and you see uh, the move that you see with Shell there. Um, you know, we we don't know exactly why they've given up on on that license adjacent to 
Pensacola, and I suppose there are a number of reasons, and there may be people from Shell who listen to this and say, I want to tell you, but that won't come on. <laughs> but um, um, So I guess what we do know is, as you kind of getting into there, Hamish, I mean, Shell's operatorship and, and the data it had in this license was played up by Rehobold. Shell had clearly analyzed the data, made a decision not to proceed. And I guess whenever the NSTA finally publishes the relinquish remit report, that could be what, in a year? I don't know. Um, the info will eventually become available. Um, but, you know, it's a neighboring license and major prospectivity. If they, if they thought there was major prospectivity, then common sense would suggest um, that maybe they'd go for it and, and get some kind of uni unitization on the go. Um, so, yeah, it seems to spell bad news. Um, but as I say, we don't, we don't know why Shell has decided to exit. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, how has the market responded more broadly um, to the Pensacola news, Hamish? You mentioned uh, Deltic's share price and, and that going up. Yeah, Deltic's share price soared. I think it, for the last, it, it had kind of been a bit lower, a decrease, sorry, for the last sort of year or so, but it obviously went up um, January, February when the um, drilling was completed and reserves were announced. It then went, again, went up again massively on Monday morning, Wednesday morning, sorry. It, as far as Rehoboth goes, there's not been a great deal of change in the share price. Um, it's sitting at about 12p, but that share price and, and how low it is has been a kind of a point that's been raised time and again by shareholders who are unhappy with the boards and are saying they should be given their asset base it should be much higher now when they survived the first takeover attempt they made it clear that they had a strategy for addressing that low share price they were going to hand money back to shareholders um kind of prioritize their their asset base which they have done um and they, they set that out in, in Wednesday's announcement. But as far as I can see, there's not been any great change. In fact, since October, it was sitting at 28p and it's yeah, now down down to 11, 12p. So it's just on a gradual decline and can't help but think that there's probably only so many of these attempted coups that they can they can realistically survive. Um, How many boxers can get involved? <laughs> but but there's, if there's already been, there was two in the space for about two or three months. Um, so there's clearly unrest is not a great deal to suggest that that unrest has gone away, um, especially not given that the situation of the company has materially improved. So you do have to think that it's it's going to rumble on and, and something drastic perhaps will need to happen to to get things pointing in the right direction. We'll see. They do have the Dunrobin prospects um, in Central North Sea, which is an exciting one, 201 million barrels of oil equivalents. Rehobol got a 36% working interest in that. So... That could be a, a big one if they get that off the get that off the ground, but that's a big if. Um, and whether the current board will be around long enough to see that off remains to be seen. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for that roundup there, Hamish. It's exciting stuff going on in the Southern North Sea, even if we have a couple of uh, duds recently, but some big prospects coming up in in the North Sea this summer still. So we'll we'll keep another eye out there. Um, but we'll round up exploration for now. And next up, it's Ed Reed with, well, all sorts going on in Nigeria. Evergreencast is the latest podcast series from Sustainable Growth Out Loud. This two-part series is brought to you in paid partnership with Scottish Woodlands and the Confederation of Forest Industries. We'll be exploring some of the challenges and opportunities of sustainable forestry. For our first episode, I'm joined by David Robertson, Director of Investment and Business Development at Scottish Woodlands, and Stuart Goodall, 
Chief Executive at the Confederation of Forest Industries. We'll be touching on some of the opportunities that sustainable forestry has to offer, from carbon sequestration to timber construction and job creation, as well as some of the changes that can bring these possibilities into reality. This podcast is available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ed, so I don't know where to start here. Uh, the oil tanker interception or the regulatory roughhousing, uh, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Sure. So, I mean, I think there are quite a couple of quite interesting uh, stories out about Nigeria that I think, you know, really sort of speak to some of the challenges that uh, the, uh, the, the the new president is facing. So, Botanubu kind of came into power a couple of months ago now and has, has made some quite interesting changes to uh, Nigeria. He's ended fuel subsidies, he's freed the foreign exchange rate. So obviously already some some quite big domestic impact. Clearly, uh, foreign investors are are looking on and sort of, you know, wondering where things are going to go. Nigeria's got big plans. Um, There's been discussion of uh, an IPO for for NNPC, the state-owned oil company. Um, But obviously, there are still some sort of lingering problems that uh, that have kind of stacked up over the years. I mean, I think think the the, the question around, you know, so um, I think a very positive sign uh, came early, well, the the end of June in a a directive that that was leaked fairly recently um, from Tanubu telling his two regulators so there's one for the upstream and one for the sort of mid and downstream that they had to sort of sort their acts out essentially the uh, the, the downstream regulator in june had accused exxon of theft uh, saying that the uh, U.S. super major had essentially stolen a, a cargo of butane if i recall correctly from a terminal um and and, and taking it away in the ship exxon of course said uh no we didn't uh and uh did they need the oil i mean <laughs> well that yes i mean the whole thing was slightly curious but it's it, so essentially the, the the debate seemed to boil down to the fact that the uh the upstream regulator had approved exxon to, to lift this butane cargo the downstream regulator had not um which obviously i suppose it's a it's a, it's a debate that could that can naturally occur but obviously one would hope that that wouldn't lead to uh, accusing uh, major oil companies of theft. Obviously, that's not a particularly helpful outcome. Uh, and and, and uh, encouraging the Nigerian Navy to to take action against Exxon's vessels. So 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 the president stepping in to sort of say, actually, you know, here here's, here's where the line should be drawn feels like a really positive step. I think this is kind of clearly the sort of clarity that people want, and you know. Is 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 actually like a remarkable uh, progression from the uh, from, from the Buhari years, where there was a there was an extent of you know decisions weren't made. Um, there's, there's there's a for instance there's a deal between Seplat and Exxon that's been dragging on. So it would be great to see that same sort of decisive attitude kind of brought in, right? So the president could could come in come in and and say, look, this is this is how it's going to be. And just kind of give an answer, right? Rather than just kind of letting these 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 problems meander. I think that that kind of related story that I that you brought up about uh, the uh, the interception of a of a vessel full of stolen crude, allegedly stolen crude. Uh, as yet, there's 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 still some uncertainty. But look, oil theft is a major problem for Nigeria. Something like well, so. Th- there are a lot of different numbers. Ask a different person, you'll get a different number. The most recent number I saw was 200,000 barrels a day was stolen in uh, in 2022. 
obviously for 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 country producing somewhere around sort of 1.2 1.3 million barrels a day that's a fairly significant amount of production stuff i mean i think it's a significant amount of production still anywhere in the world 200,000 barrels per day um but obviously that that is is a really significant problem for nigeria given the way in which the state is so reliant on oil revenues and and obviously the the the, the all the things that those revenues could be spent on so the fact that you know we're sort of seeing some sort of action uh, on, uh, on 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 sort of oil theft is is encouraging. Although there are signs that the that it's not quite as clear cut. So NNPC um, said that it had been unable to to track this vessel for I think uh, twelve years, uh, which doesn't really seem to be borne out by a, a sort of a preliminary check of a, a sort of vessel tracking software. So I think that there are sort of challenges around this, and I think there are also kind of questions around um, the. So it wasn't actually NNPC that that intercepted the vessel. Obviously, it's a it's an oil company, not not a not a not a company that uh, that has uh, men in in boats with guns. They'd actually outsourced this to a to a to a security company, run by a former militant. Um, so um, this former militant called Tom Polo uh, won this contract last year to essentially provide security in the Delta, and uh, one of his uh, one of his, his his companies sort of you know caught this 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 vessel. There's there's an incredibly protracted and complicated. I mean, you were talking about how complicated your story was. I think you know Nigerian politics, particularly in the Delta, are I would say at least similarly complicated, um, and and similarly opaque. But suffice it to say that that various members of um, Tom Polo's company have been uh, well charged, arrested, undergone trial for money laundering various other offenses so it's not essentially there's a there's a whole kind of historical can of worms should we say that uh, the, the president has, in, that has inherited he can do you know some things he can take some steps but i think clearly trying to resolve that sort of long-running question of of sort of oil theft of politics of, of those kind of complicated personal relationships in the niger delta i think are probably uh, uh require much greater intervention and i and you know, obviously we can we can hope that the president steps in and takes the step but uh you know we, it's clearly one to watch so yeah a, a can of worms seems a a good way of putting it i mean in, in terms of this this tanker i mean as you say there's so much of oil theft is such a, a huge problem in that part of the world i'm, I'm assuming that this kind of action it, well when you get private contractors involved it's, it's hard to see but i mean has that level of action been taken before against this kind of thing and would it generally be seen as a good policing move or could it deter investors? Perhaps hard to see the latter, but what's your feeling on that, Ed? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of hard to extrapolate. I mean, I think we, we have seen some, some, some similar steps taken by, uh, by, by Tom Polo companies in the past. Um, and I think onshore, we've seen, you know, like, you know, it feels like every sort of few days we see, we see sort of, you know, you know, reports from the Nigerian military sort of, you know, reporting another, you know, number of, uh, as they say, artisanal, uh, refining sites, uh, destroyed, you know, uh, bunker sites, you know, uh, found. Um, so I think, look, there, there, there is, you know, kind of a clear kind of an ongoing problem. I think, I suppose that the, the, the interception of the vessel was, was significant in that it was offshore, right? I mean, I think onshore, I suppose, you know, there's a certain degree to which, you know, the Nigerian military has the capacity to, to, to do that. 
in the offshore, maybe they haven't. And I, I suppose the kind of the complicating factor there is um, quite early on in his presidency, uh, uh, Tanubu had a meeting with another former militant, uh, Asaru Dokubu, who was a, a, a related to a, an, an earlier insurgency. Keep track for those at home. Um, but uh, and and this 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 militant came out essentially and said ninety nine percent of oil theft in the Niger Delta is uh, linked to the Nigerian army and navy. A big claim, as you can imagine. Um, it's not the first of those kind of allegations I've heard. You know, obviously there, there have been a number of kind of complaints in the past about that. But I think um, it does suggest a certain sort of state failing, uh, possibly even a, a degree of state complicity. So I think, you know, obviously this, this the way in which this private security company has come in and, and, and seized this vessel, it does feel like a positive even given those kind of you know long running and, and and kind of complicated questions about about where Tom Polo is coming from and 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 the people that he's working with, whether this is enough to encourage foreign investment to come back, it would be nice. I mean, I think it's you know it's it's another small positive, but I think look, we've been waiting for so long for some big ticket items. Shell, for instance, has been talking about a sort of another bonga project another sort of 100,000 odd barrel per day FPSO, which would be nice to see. They've been talking about it for a long time. Progress has been extremely slow. Maybe finally we can see it. Shell has been in for a meeting with the president. Let's, let, let, let's wait and see if actual progress comes. Fantastic. Okay, well, thanks for that analysis, Ed. We've uh, we've had some convoluted stories this week, but we hope we've been able to cut through it for you. Um, if not, then hey, just have it on in the background whilst you have a cup of tea. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you again to Ed and Hamish for joining me. We'll be back next week. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.